Hello there. Today's episode of the Benzo Free Podcast is a recording of a live YouTube chat we held on Thursday, November 12th, 2020. 90% of the topics discussed on this chat were about benzodiazepines, dependence, and withdrawal. So, I felt it would be a good idea to release it as a parallel podcast episode for those who might be interested. If you'd like to see the original video file, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash easinganxiety or visit our website at easinganxiety.com. And if you'd like to be notified of future live events from our channel, subscribe to our YouTube channel or newsletter while you are there. I have edited this recording down for time and content, and I hope you like it. Please remember that this is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. Check out our disclaimer at easinganxiety.com disclaimer for more info. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Well, hello, everybody, or anybody, or whoever's on there. I saw Cheryl is on. Um, my name is D. And welcome to the Easing Anxiety slash Benzo Free <laughs> live chat with D. Whatever I'm going to call this, I'm not sure. But um, I got the chat board up and running. So if you want to pipe in at any point and ask questions or share comments, I would love to talk with you. I would love to discuss questions. We'll run this about an hour or so if we have enough to talk about and, and see where we are. So um, that's about it. Um, Cheryl typed in and said... Here we go. See, I love this new technology. <laughs> I'm trying out this great software. And um, see, I can put Cheryl's um, comment right up there on the screen. And she says, how are you? Um, I'm doing well. A little bit of anxiety um, on a live stream because, you know, there's not much room for me to stop and re-record. Um, but I'm doing well. I'm actually doing really well. Been feeling good lately. So thanks for asking. Um, that was my first question. That was so cool. <laughs> Oh, Cheryl asked also. This is great. Thanks, Cheryl. You're keeping me busy. I appreciate starting me off here. Um, how many years were you on benzodiazepines? Great question. Um, I was on them for 12 years, um, doctor prescribed, as most people. And um, and I took uh, 18 months coming off, and I'm now a little over six years benzo-free. And I was on clonazepam or clonopin for those 12 years. So thanks, Cheryl. Cheryl piped in and and said good and thank you. So thank you for those great comments. Um, this is cool. It's just going to be Cheryl and me talking, which is great. Um, <laughs> I know Paul was on here a little bit ago. Hopefully Paul will come back on and give me some questions. Um, I am happy to ramble on. I'm happy to answer questions. I didn't really set up a topic for this call because it's kind of a test. 
it's kind of to see how the technology works, um, to see how this live communication works. So if you're in YouTube, please let me know you're here. Pipe in. There's a live chat, hopefully up and running. Just type into the live chat and let me know what's going on. Um, hey, Pam, I'm so glad to see you here. Please, any questions, comments, um, keep me busy. Um, Pam and Lee have been amazing supporters of the podcast and of Easing Anxiety, so it's good to see you. Um, Cheryl piped in and said, anxiety has ruled, ruled my life for too many years. Um, don't I know that? Um, I think that's the case for all of us. And um, it's, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to find that acceptance. It's hard to adapt, but we do the best we can. Um, I can honestly tell you my life is better now than it's, than it's been, of course, throughout my taper and withdrawal and just better than ever. Um, if there's a silver lining in benzodiazepine withdrawal, that silver lining is this chance for introspection, this chance for reevaluation, this opportunity to dive within ourselves, figure out what our values are or were, and figure out what truly we need to have a better life. <laughs> I hope that's, that's my little philosophy tidbit there. So just piping in there. I think most of you probably who have been with the Benzo Free podcast for any time know my story, so I'm not here to repeat that. And of course, we've been sharing Benzo stories on our different sites. Um, and there's Paul. Paul Paul just piped in, said, sorry, I'm late. Paul, great to see you, buddy. Um, he was the first one to pipe in like 45 minutes before we started. Paul, it's good to see you. Great to see you on there. Um, Pam got a question here. How long does a typical protracted withdrawal last? Oh, that's a great one. Um, Donna even piped in and said for her 18 um, years, <laughs> which is um, um, not typical, but pretty much the identifier that I had understood when I started mine was 18 months is the typical for acute. Okay. And so anything beyond 18 months, of course, is what we consider protracted. The problem with protracted is that it's by its definition protracted, meaning it's not really, I think, a defined um, length of time. And so, I mean, I'm on six years plus. Um, we got, you know, Donna piped in 18 years for her. I know others that are 10 plus, but they are the extreme cases. I know it's so hard for me to say that when, when we are the extreme ones, but these are the extreme cases. And, um, I do think most people heal within the acute period of withdrawal, which is 18 months. Many people heal during their taper for the most part, and their acute isn't that strong. The problem is, of course, as you know, we don't hear from those people very often because they've moved on with their life and good for them. Um, let's see here. We got awesome. We got Cheryl. Melanie typed in. Hi, Melanie. It's good to see you. Hello, tapering from Xanax here. At a burning legs phase, it seems. Sigh. Um, God, yeah. Well, those nerve, those nerve, neuropathy, the nerve pains, the nerve tinglings, the nerve sensations that we get. I still get them here and there, but they don't keep me too busy. Um, but I feel for the people who have the severe burning. Um, I didn't get the severe severity of it. So um, I understand. Uh, sorry about that. Um, let's see. I was 17 years old. I started tapering. I'm just popping through the comments here. Um, Paul typed in and said, today was my first day, hopefully my last taper step. Way to go, Paul. 
feeling better since started with the help of you, D. Thank you. Still stomach issues, but moving forward, Paul. Um, I'm just really happy you got where you are. Um, it will get better here as we move along, as you know. But I'm really glad that you're making progress and I have the stomach issues. Mine did subside for the most part. Um, not too long after my acute. Um, no, that's not true. First year or so in protracted, they carried on um, from my withdrawal from clonazepam, but they're doing so much better now. Some of my lingering ones are more of the anxiety, cognitive issues, memory issues. I have um, some of the formication, the paresthesia on the face. I have these spiders crawling on the left side of my face and I get them periodically. The funny thing is, is I'm so used to them now, they're just there. So um, they don't bother me too much. Um, oh, Donna, that's sweet. Donna said, D's a godsend. Thank you so much. You are very sweet. I appreciate it. Um, Donna and Cheryl Pipe, and yes, the Benzo Warrior. Oh, you guys are great. Thank you um, for the comments. And it's so good to have people live chatting. I was, <laughs> I had this, you know, not fear, but I, I had this idea that I better have something to talk about because it might just be me on this live stream. Um, but as you know, um, I can ramble on for a pretty long time, so I'd find something to talk about, I promise you. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. So Cheryl's typing in, I have SE, SLE lupus. Been gathering zaps for months in my head. Oh. You know, so many of us have additional complications to this. Um, two things. Actually, this is a great topic, Cheryl. Two things I want to mention here. One is, and Ashton mentions this really clearly, and of course, not medical advice. I can't give medical advice, but it's something to keep in mind to talk to your doctor about is that we do get misdiagnoses. Um, I was misdiagnosed with prostatitis. Um, I know many people have been misdiagnosed with MS or Parkinson's because of benzos. Um, lupus, probably not, is probably legit. I'm not saying it isn't. All I'm saying is it does happen, so it's always something to get to get evaluated. But when you have another condition like lupus or like um, Parkinson's or like um, diabetes or for me, um, ADHD, it, it just complicates things. And it makes our recovery so much harder. Um, and trying to taper with those complications, Cheryl, I feel for you and I'm so sorry. I'm sorry you have to deal with that. Okay, so Cheryl did pipe in and said lupus a while ago, so it's pre-existing condition. Um, and I, I don't know. Um, I know I had a really hard time with my withdrawal. Um, one that I wouldn't ever want anybody else to have to go through. But I also know that I've worked with many of you who have it even worse. And, um, and that breaks me up when I think about that. As you know, I can, I can cry now. I now have emotions. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh through that, but that's my natural instinct after I start to tear up. Oh, but um, what some of you are going through, have gone through, um, breaks my heart. And um, if I can do the smallest thing to help you out, no, I appreciate it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Paul typed in and said, I, I love this format, able to chat with someone who understands. Um, a lot don't realize the importance of communication during this time. That is so true. Um, I know some of us do too much, uh, especially with the discussion boards or with horror stories. So we got to temper it and be careful. But finding people who are um, stable enough to give good feedback and good communication and work with you 
um, or even just, you know, <laughs> vent with you and share your misery can be so helpful in this. Uh, Donna said, love the stories. I'm glad you do. This is great. And Doug piped in. Let's see what we got. Doug. Oh, it's Anne here, on, but on Doug's account, I guess. Still tapering and finding myself crying a lot. Um, I know, Anne. You know, I, as you know, I had to embrace the crying too. Um, it's just something you got to do. Um, it can get old. And it can get to be too much for a while. But if we start to embrace it and start to realize it's part of the healing process and even, even enjoy it a little bit... Um, which I still do. I don't cry as much as I did <laughs> during my taper and withdrawal. It does ease. But I want that gate to remain open. I want it to be open for me so that I can cry. I can shed a tear. And um, when, when it's necessary or when I want to, or even, even when you know I'm watching some movie and bing, there it is. It doesn't matter. I just want to have that, that opportunity to be able to do that. So... Um, let's see. And here also have a lot of palpitations, especially at night. I get that. Um, so many people deal with the palpitations and they can be frightening. Um, many of us have been to the ER far too many times because we're afraid of the heart, you know, issues. I'm one of those people. You get used to them. Um, I guess not used to them, but hopefully you stop rushing to the doctor over and over again. Um, let's see here. Paul typed in and said, do you mention the crying out of nowhere? I've had the same thing and still find myself doing this in the mornings. I've been waking around 2.30 a.m. and have such a problem getting back to sleep. Yeah, insomnia, the sleep issues. That was chronic for me, and I know it's chronic for a lot of people. And um, thankfully, I'm getting back to normal. I probably average about six hours now, which may just be the sleep I need. I think I get a, a good six hours in each night, which is amazing now. Sometimes seven, rarely eight. Um, during withdrawal, it was often three or four. So for long periods of time. So I, I get it, Paul, and I'm, I'm sorry what, you, what you're going through. Oh, it's crazy. Yep, and I piped in on the last comment that she has been to the ER twice. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> it would be interesting to see a statistic, a statistic, if I could talk. But um, to see, it'd be interesting if we could find a way to see the number of ER visits related to benzodiazepine withdrawal. And especially those phantom symptoms that we get. Um, Cheryl typed in with a question. Do you find yourself disconnected from yourself when you have had anxiety? I don't know if you're talking specifically about like DPDR, depersonalization, derealization, or if it's just more kind of feeling separate. DPDR is something I didn't deal with directly. I had, I think, hints of it. Um, I, I, I even wonder if I just always feel that way. And so for me, nothing was new. I always feel a little disconnected. I see myself and I don't always really know who I am. So I just think it's more of my usual state to some degree. Um, but it's, it's complicated. And I think it's one of the scariest sensations for so many people because losing that sense of reality or losing that sense of who you are, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one, but I know I talk with several of you who have worked through that and 
And it's crazy and it's difficult. And I'm sorry, I wish I had an answer for that. I know that for most people it subsides and it does ease as they go through their healing, but it's a difficult one. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correct. Rubayat Kabir, I'm hoping I am. Hey, it's good to see you. I know I've written with you. We've um, exchanged emails several times, but I just want to make sure I get, try to get your name right. Anyway, thanks for piping in. It's great to great to have you on. Domingo is 85 or 05. Ah, my concept of time is different now. This kind of fits in with the DPR, um, DPDR we were talking about. I don't think I've had that. That's interesting. Um, um, says time unfolds differently, and that's an interesting concept. I, it makes sense. Um, I could totally see it because our, our, our minds aren't operating on all cylinders, and so our perceptions do get um, adjusted. And um, wow, that's, a, that's an interesting one to have. I'm glad you shared that. I'd be curious to know more about it. Maybe pop you an email um, or even write up a short story of what it's like. I'd love to share something about that. Um, thanks. Um, and piped back in and said, with COVID, I'm getting accustomed at home and not wanting to get out. Wow, great one. This is a great topic. Thank you. Thank you, Anne, for that one. Um, COVID is not making this easier on any of us. Um, I mean, it's easier in a way, but it's harder. It's easier because we don't have the FOMO. We're not missing out on a lot. There's not much going on outside our homes because most of us are staying at home. But it doesn't help that isolation. And um, so many of us deal with that isolation, with with being trapped inside. I, this was a huge one for me, and I've shared it with you several times. But um, probably the last few years have been mostly me trying to expand that bubble, to expand that box, whatever you want to think of, that cocoon that we've been trapped in, and kind of move it out and find out and, and you know, do that exposure therapy of you know, getting back out in the world and trying things. It's not easy. It's hard, but we got to do that if we want to live again. It's okay to isolate during those difficult times. It is. Sometimes we have to do that. I get it. I did it too. But as we start to feel a little better, it's important for us to get back out in the world and, you know, start to see what's going on. Um, Anne piped back in and said, comfortable staying at home. It, it is comfortable. Um, I know. Cheryl mentioned that, um, guess the isolation, I feel better doing this during COVID. It's, it, it is kind of better to do it during COVID because most of us are isolated and maybe that's the perfect time. The problem is with the virus comes additional anxiety. Um, there's also job loss for people. You know, there's economic downturn or upturn. I don't know what's going on with the economy now with, within the U S or around the world. But, um, there's a lot of stress that comes with what's happening because there's fear. And, and we've talked about on the, on the YouTube videos and on the podcast too, that there's also awkwardness, social awkwardness, especially with family and friends who may have different perceptions of the virus than we do. And that can cause problems too. And that causes anxiety. So while the isolation is good, I think there's also other factors that have come into play. Um, Paul typed in and said, I feel um, scared to go anywhere, COVID and anxiety. And my business is travel. Oh, yeah, that's tough. On the road a lot. I've developed social anxiety during this. Um, yeah, Paul's one of the people who um, also Pam was piped on here too. A couple, a couple of you who um, 
are in the south um, southeast and had to deal with the hurricanes too. And I know that was um, a lot of stress added to the whole thing. So with us out here in the west, it's the fires. Thankfully, the weather is now shifting and those are coming down. But for those of you in the southeast and um, in the deep south, um, it's been hurricanes. It's been crazy. So a lot of stuff's been adding to all our stress lately. Cheryl, family expectations. Thank you for piping in. Family expectations that may not truly know how we feel. They try, but they can't. That's a great one. In fact, um, oh, who was I emailing today? Sorry, brain brain fog. Um, I can't remember, but it was somebody I was emailing back with, and we were talking about um, the family, and there's my mental block, total wall. Um, I was on a thread. God, I do that too much. I think you all know this one. Um, you've seen me do it on the podcast. I've left it in a few times. And this is me doing it live. Um, I get those walls. Um, I can be right on a straight thread. And I know it's not all benzo. Part of it's my ADHD, <laughs> I'm sure. But I get the wall. And I can't figure out where I was going. So, and piped in again and said, finally, family has no clue. Back to the family. Yeah, it's... That's where I was going. Thank you. <laughs> See, I knew one of you would keep me on track. <laughs> Thanks, Ann. The family's tough. Um, Shanna, my my spouse, and hopefully she'll be on one of these here at a time. She might even start running comments if we start to keep these a little busier. But she's um, she's been my caregiver for years and been through hell trying to keep track of me and everything. But as much as they live with us or take care of us or are part of this, they can never know the, the real, um, the realness of it. It's because it's 24, 7, 365. It's all the time, nonstop. We can't escape it. And, um, that makes it really hard. Paul tied back in. I'm so lucky. My family has the understanding of my issues. My kids and wife have been there from the start. So grateful. I tell you the people who have put up with us deserve a huge round of applause and thanks and gratitude. Um, that was the thing I think I was going to was that somebody had talked about caregivers and I mentioned in an email recently and I think we need to do that subject and start talking more about that again because I've done some articles in the past and we've done a podcast or two on it but I think it's time to do that again because I know a lot of people are out there who are caregiving and who have written to me. And um, this is a great topic to talk about, so I think so. Allowing the light and the... Oh, yeah. So Pam had a great one. Or Donna had a great one here. Allowing the light and the dark. That's a real great topic. Um, I think we all... I, I did this, my God. And it wasn't until I read some really good books that challenged me and read listened to some, um, some books on tape like Pema Children and some of the other ones and some of the other philosophy and some of the other psychology professors. But talking about facing your feelings and dealing with them and experiencing them. And that was, I think I spent most of my life running away from them. And many of you know what that's like and blocking them or suppressing them. Um, but I started to face them and started to accept them and started to realize they are just feelings. And it's something that we deal with. It's something that we experience but it's not going to kill you. It's not even going to seriously hurt you. It's all how we receive them. But 
accepting them and dealing with them and processing processing them and then letting them go for me has been um, very helpful. So thanks for that one, Donna. Uh, let's see here, Paul, as D knows. Hey, here's a good one from Paul. Paul says, as D knows, my wife is a massage therapist and it greatly helps during the aches and pain flare-ups. Very lucker, very lucker, ah, very lucky in that manner too. Yeah, I would agree with that, Paul. Um, I had a massage therapist throughout my withdrawal and she was amazing. This is um, a gal who's a semi-pro um, volleyball player and um, so she had this hand strength and could dig into my tissues and um, really could do the work that she needed to. Um, she helped me with my pelvic floor dysfunction too from benzo withdrawal um, and my muscles, especially my neck and my shoulders. I was locked up all the time. I even did some PT during withdrawal, as many of you have too. And I did too much PT. Um, one of the things that I think is essential to remember on this is that we can go too far. We can go too far too fast. During withdrawal, I mean, our, our, our muscles are locked up for two primary reasons. One is most benzos are great muscle relaxants. We've been on them for a long time. And they can really complicate um, our muscles and lock them up. And they can be just like temporarily locked up for a long time. And second is, of course, our nerve impulses aren't getting the communication um, to the muscles and from the muscles properly because our nervous system has been damaged, as we all know. Those two things don't help a lot with our muscles. And even without benzo withdrawal, um, many of us experience symptoms of our anxiety in our muscles. We lock up, we tense up. I did before this, but now we do. So it's important to remember that your muscles are not average. I won't say normal, but average right now. So if you're going to do work, if you're going to do PT, if you're going to exercise a lot, be careful. Make sure you do that with um, some doctor guidance. You do it with maybe a physical trainer guidance, but may, that they know that your muscles probably won't respond the way the average person does. This took me a while to get to make sense of, and I've talked to with many other people who have had the same experience. Um, anyway, uh, Donna piped in, says, D, please don't let anyone think I have had protracted withdrawal for 18 years. Great. We don't want to scare anyone. Thanks, Donna. No, and I understand that. Um, and I think that's, that's great to know. Protracted withdrawal can come in so many different um, ways. And some of us still have a few symptoms. But I think when we say we still have symptoms, many of many people think we're saying it's still like it was. And it's not. It's not. For most of us, like Donna and for myself, it's so much better. It's so much, you know, we've made so much progress. So it's important to keep that in mind. So let's just go back here. So let's bring up Paul. He has something here. It says, thanks. Now he's writing back to Donna. It has been my my best direct help. I wish everyone could have the family, um, but I know some don't. Um, support systems. Yeah. I was blessed. Many of you are blessed with a really good support system. And um, I wish everyone had had that. I know so many of you written to me and haven't had a good support system. And wow, I mean, the loneliness, oh my God. Yeah, see, I can tear up again here, but the loneliness I feel from some of you has been really tough. And um, I can't think of anything harder right now than going through benzo withdrawal and, um, and not having anyone to help or support or anyone who believes in you or anyone who 
believes you're going through something like this, so it's tough. As Cheryl mentioned, I have been on benzodiazepines for 26 years. I'm 11 months into taper from clonopin and Ativan and Valium. They started me on 75 milligrams of Valium. Oh my God. And I'm now at 26. Will I ever be normal again? That's, <laughs> that might be one of the most common questions I get. Um, I, I want to say what's normal, but I know the question because I've asked it myself. I think what we're saying is, will we get back to our previous self? I think most of us do. Most of us heal. Most of us heal fully. I believe that. Some of us have lingering withdrawal. I'm one of those people. Do I know that I will heal completely? No, I don't know, but I'm hopeful. I think I will. I know people who have been 10 years out and have healed completely. So some of us, it just takes longer. Um, so yeah, I think you will be normal again. Um, Cheryl also mentioned, why am I getting so sick physically and mentally? Behind these, and I think we've talked about this a bit, um, it comes back to the GABA receptors and some other damage that is done by the drugs. Long-term, basically what benzos does, and we've talked about this a little bit, is that it, it increases the GABA in the, in the body and thus the receptors, and it makes the receptors more available to the GABA so that it can receive more of it. And that GABA is a calming influence, okay? And so we become calmer. But unfortunately, through, the, through homeostasis, our bodies adapt. And so after a while, our body says, you know, we're getting too much of this calming GABA, so let's reduce down, you know, the receptors so we don't get as much. And then we hit tolerance. And then, of course, when we decide to come off the drugs, now our receptors can't accept the GABA, the calming chemical, as much, and we get kicked into even more extreme. So I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but that's kind of the scientific of what's happening. So our nervous system, we wind up with neurological damage. That's what we have. Unfortunately, our nervous system affects everything in our bodies, every aspect. So it's hard not to see how this can cause so many problems. Um, Cheryl mentioned my, my daughter's father tried killing oh, it's, oh, and they never got... I'm so sorry, Cheryl. I'm so sorry. Many of us have um, history of difficulties in our life, and that's what led us to medication and caused our anxiety. So I'm so sorry that this is so hard for so many people. All we can do is try to look forward, try to find, get help to deal with those um, events in our lives and find new ways of processing our feelings and our thoughts so that we can live a more productive and happier life. That's my theory. <laughs> That's where I'm at. So, oh, so yeah, great question, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Um, so many, and I know I'm seeing some more of the ticker go through with Cheryl and everything, and that's great um, that you all are sharing this, and I appreciate that you are helping each other. I know many of us have trauma. Um, I'm not exempt of that. Um, um, oh, I'm having trouble talking now. Um, but many of us have had it. Each one of us has our own way of dealing with it. 
I'm not a counselor and I can't give anybody psychological advice. For me, I found that understanding what I had to deal with and the complications it caused in my psyche is the first step. And the second step is finding new ways of dealing with life, finding new productive ways of handling things. People have recovered from the most horrendous things life can throw at them. They do it all the time. We can recover from this stuff. We really do. But it takes work. It takes understanding. It takes a new mindset, a new outlook. And it's hard. But I am pretty happy right now. Pretty fulfilled. I feel really good. And I know many of you have reached similar places in your lives, even with benzo withdrawal. And so, so it does happen. So anyway, that's, that's my comment there. Um, I just want to make sure people get help. Um, as you know, and I'm going to say this here because I have to say it somewhere, everywhere, <laughs> my disclaimer. <laughs> but of course, this video is from, from infer, sorry, I can't say break because this is live. This video is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice or health advice or psychological advice. So please keep that in mind. Visit our disclaimer at benzofreedorg slash disclaimer, or now I think at easinganxiety.com slash disclaimer to learn more about our disclaimer, but I need to get that in there so everybody understands. I think this is a good time to do that. Um, Cheryl just said, I just want to stop living in the past. Um, and I get that. I get that. Hey, Monica piped in. So how's Monica doing? Um, take comfort that there has been no known permanent damage from withdrawal. Yes, thank you, Monica. You may be more sensitive and have some long-term physical stuff, but nothing like you have now. Um, so many people who are piping in here have been I've been writing to for a long time. Monica may be one of the ones that I've written to for the longest. I think we've been corresponding for about a year and a half now. So, Monica, it's great to see you. In fact, I just wrote to you today. So, um, thanks for piping in. And yes. There have been no studies that have identified any permanent damage. There were some things that hinted at it way back when with later, but it was never proven and the studies were never done. Most of the studies that have been done have showed healing from this. Does it mean that permanent brain damage isn't possible? No, and it may be in extreme cases, but for the vast, for the vast majority of us, we do heal. The biggest problem is that the healing is difficult and painful for many of us. And it can take a long time. For some of us, it takes a very long time. Um, we are here. And I, you know, I've said this before, but you all have helped me more than you know. And um, doing this podcast, doing this live feed tonight, doing the videos, it's given me a purpose and a purpose that fulfills me. And I talked about the silver lining of benzo withdrawal. And for me, that's the silver lining. I found a new place to be, a new thing to do, a new career that I value and I love. And I've met you all, and it's so great. Is there any no reasons um, doctors still aren't upfront about benzos, withdrawal? They don't know money, information. Great question. Um, yeah, there's a lot of reasons. Education, a proper education system for informing doctors is is important. And we're working on that. I'm, I'm part of a consortium here 
uh, work group that is working on benzos and we're working on a lot of those areas right now. Um, several other members are part of that. Just to give a shout out to um, um, JC and Christy and um, Nicole are also on this same work group from um, BIC. And so is um, Dr. Um, Wright and some other people from uh, the Alliance are also pulled into this. So it's not just a Colorado, even though it's a Colorado hosted consortium, we're pulling in um, knowledge from all, all over the, the country and the world. But that's some of the stuff we're tackling and we're working on that. And um, getting that education out to doctors is important, but it's, it's hard and it takes time and it's difficult to do. So great question, I, I appreciate that, thanks. Uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, so if you have something for me or something you want me to chat on, I'll run a little bit over today if we can. Um, please, um, just, there we go. There's D, Cheryl piped in, say, D, did you choose to come off the benzodiazepines? I did choose. Um, I mentioned earlier in this one that I, um, I went to a doctor. She prescribed Prozac, but she said I probably should come off the benzos. That's the first I knew that it was even a problem after 11 years of taking it. And... Um, and I looked online that night, I had the reaction to the Prozac, and I had a panic attack when I found out how bad it was. So once I found that out, I wanted these things out of my system now. I wanted them out immediately. I freaked out. I had panic attack after panic attack. It was a really, really dark time for me. But I calmed down. I started yoga. I started meditation. I started exercising. I did everything I could to try to make things better. And it helped. And I went back to my doctor who wanted me to wait six months, told my doctor what was going on. Um, after six months that he wanted me to, to pause, I had a better mindset and I started my taper. And I did it voluntarily. Um, I probably did it a little quicker than I should have. And I jumped off of too high of a dose. But, and I even updosed during it. I made mistakes. But I succeeded and I've stayed off of them. So I'm excited about that. I'm just happy to be where I am now. Oh, let's see here. Monica piped in. For those who want more D's experience, I strongly suggest you get his book. Thank you, Monica. <laughs> you are so sweet. I appreciate that. Yeah, if you haven't, please check it out. Um, you can learn more about the book at benzofreedorg slash book. I think that's what it is. I think it's book, yeah. Um, or just at benzofreedorg. You can see, see more about the book there. So thank you, Monica. I appreciate that. The book does help. Um, people are still buying it. I appreciate that. I'm hoping to do an update on it here maybe next year. I have learned so much since I wrote that book. All from you. Um, I wrote that book before I started the podcast, the website, um, the YouTube channel or anything. So the book was written on the four years of research I did for my own recovery. Um, and stuff I learned from some of the discussion boards and everything like that. But now... You all have educated me so much more, and I've learned so much since then. So I do look forward to getting a new book out there. Um, Pam, thanks. Yep, Pam's been reading it. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, here's one from Anne. Anne said, D, how many did you jump? Hey, good question. I was on clonazepam or clonopin, as you know, and since I didn't substitute taper, um, I jumped from a quarter milligram, which is, doing my math again, five milligrams of volume. Yeah, it's about that. Um, let's see, one milligram is 20. Yeah, so five milligrams of value. I got to do the math in my head. Um, but yeah, I did. So, and that was that was a big jump. That's a lot to jump from. Um, and I think that's why my acute was so strong, was um, I probably should have tapered longer. So, but I, that's as small as I could cut the pill. 
I didn't really know about microtapering. I didn't really do enough work on that. I didn't do substitution. So that's what I wound up with. Hey, right, Jason piped in. Jason, good to see you. I was just emailing Jason today too. <laughs> Great guy. Hey, Jason, it's good to see you. Hopefully things in, are good in Pennsylvania. Um, your book is essential for everyone harmed by benzos. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate that, buddy. Thank you so much for piping in. Um, let's see. D, feel free to tell, let's see here. Do you feel to tell Paul about pelvic floor experience? Yes, this is a good one, Monica. Thank you. Um, many of us have experienced abdominal discomfort, benzos. I'll try to keep this short. Um, I don't want to run too far over seven, but we'll run for another 10 minutes or something here. But many of us have experienced that. Um, benzo belly, the inflammation, um, digestive issues, um, reproductive issues, all kinds of issues in the abdominal areas, in area of our bodies. And one thing I came across that Monica also came across and several others have come across too is misdiagnosis of those problems. Um, many have had stomach diagnosis that were wrong. Um, I had a diagnosis of prostatitis which was wrong. Unfortunately, they prescribed me a fluoroquinolone. We don't want to go into that right now. But of course, if you're prescribed a fluoroquinolone, please, please um, talk to your doctor and see if maybe, not medical advice, but if maybe you can get a different antibiotic prescribed. They do not mix well with benzos and benzo withdrawal. But anyway, after a while, long story short, I discovered that my problem is more likely pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, frequently, it's been more um, prescribed more diagnosed in women, but it's becoming more often diagnosed in men too, especially because we're learning that prostatitis is often misdiagnosed and can be actually pelvic floor dysfunction. Anyway, basically it's the muscles in our pelvic area becoming weaker and not functioning as well or tightening up or all kinds of complications. And so we don't we then have urinary difficulties or bowel difficulties or chronic pain or stomach difficulties or all kinds of problems. And um, they can aggravate things. And I know Monica and I have talked about that several times in emails. Um, I've talked about it with some other people too. And it's one of my lingering symptoms. I still have it. Um, it's a little better, but I still have the urinary difficulties. In fact, I'm amazing. I'm amazed that even with my anxiety about this call, I guess I'm not as anxious as I thought I was now that I've started chatting with you that I made it through it without going to the bathroom. When I'm not anxious, I can go two, three hours sometimes um, if I'm not drinking a lot. But when I'm anxious, I can go 20 or 30 minutes. Um, and that didn't used to be the case for me. So anyway, if you are having the chronic abdominal issues, please take a look at it. Check into pelvic floor dysfunction. Again, not medical advice. Please talk to your doctor about it if it's something you think might be an issue for you, okay? Uh, let's see here. What do we got? Do you thank you? Thank and thank you. It's been great. I'm really having fun talking to you guys. This is it's kind of like we're getting up to speed right now as it's getting towards the end. Cheryl mentioned yes, she's had severe belly pain too. Um, again, something to look into. I started PT for my pelvic floor dysfunction, but that's one of those circumstances where I think I was doing too much too fast, and I may go back. Um, I know Monica has had similar experiences. I don't want to share her story here, but my theory with all that, and I Monica and I have chatted about this, is that because benzos are, are um, major muscle relaxants, so our muscles lock up, our pelvic muscles also lock up, 
The pelvic floor is one of the second areas that we carry our stress most often. Um, first is usually the neck and shoulders. Second is often the pelvic area and the stomach area. We benzo belly because it has so many GABA receptors reacts strongly and inflammation in that area. So my theory, and I've worked with my doctor on this and she's on board, but that is a combination of benzo withdrawal, which aggravated muscle tightness, muscle, muscle which created muscle weakness, um, GABA receptor um, nerve damage that's causing problems in that area, along with a gastric distress. Everything kind of becomes inflamed in the area and we wind up having problems. Hey, there's my theory. Being the layperson I am, I don't know much more, but that's what I'm going with. Again, not medical advice. It's just a theory, but that's what I think was going on with me. Um, Paul doesn't mention he doesn't have the belly extension. Oh, man. I had a little bit of the distended um, abdomen, but I have seen pictures. Um, some of you have sent them to me. I've seen some people, met women and men, I, I, had, I saw some pictures of a man who looked like he was seven months pregnant. So it can be very severe for some people. It is a normal symptom and it does go away. So don't panic too much about it. It does go away, but um, the inflammation in that area can be pretty severe. We'll wrap up. This will be our last one, but we'll just close out with this. Um, more things. Donna mentioned, guys, repeating. Yeah, mantra. Donna's... Don is really heavily focused on the mindfulness, and I have focused on the mindfulness too. Might not be for everybody, but if it is one of those things that helps you or does some kind of meditation, um, I think it helps. It does help calm me down, and it helps me get through some difficult times. Um, so Anne just piped in. She's heading out. I'm going to go ahead. I know for the, so many of you on the East Coast, it's getting pretty late. Um, and thanks. Thanks, everybody else. I'm going to sign off here. And I'm just going to say, this has been great. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. I appreciate the live event. This won't be our last. Um, I know you're still chatting, but I'm going to have to shut this down. Um, I just don't want it to carry on too long. And then I got to go back and edit out a little section, as we know, from our neighborhood troll. Um, but that was the only one. Look at this. This is great, great conversations. And it's been fantastic. Um, in closing, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to you who piped in. This made this an event. I really appreciate it. I hope we can build on it. Thank you for your nice wishes as I'm heading out. Um, on behalf of me, Shanna, Bear, <laughs> everybody here at the Foster Household, we hope you're keeping safe. We hope you're keeping well. And I'm hoping you're, I hope you're finding peace in your life. Just take care of yourself and take care of those around you. I love you all, and I will talk to you soon. Take care.